anything out of the nightclubs or anything? No. I honestly have never been to a nightclub. Never been to a nightclub. Never been in a bar. <laughs> Fun life, right? Ashley, one day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm missing out, right? We'll have to mislead you somehow. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to broaden these experiences, you know. I will. I will bear that in mind. I assure you. <laughs> and Julie, ignore it. I suspect. But anyway, that's okay. <laughs> Possibly. You know me so well already. You can definitely, <laughs> definitely sense your experience in working with people. <laughs> 911, what's the nature of your emergency? Good morning, police, fire, military, and families, and to everybody who is listening in on the Tactical Living podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Walton. I'm joined with a psychologist who is here with us all the way from Australia, Mr. Andrew Fuller. Andrew, how are you? Really well, thanks, Ashley. Great to be with you all. Thank you so much for joining us. And to everybody who is tuning in, Andrew has interviewed more than 500,000 people. And when I tell you what he has done with the knowledge that he's gained for that, I hope that it sparked your interest as much as it did with mine. And I want to share with you that somebody has said that Andrew actually puts the heart back into psychology. And I know that for so many of us in this group, for everybody who is listening in on the podcast, you have you have fought tooth and nail so many reasons with yourself and with other people about why it's easier to not reach out and just seek different modalities and maybe to to talk with somebody, especially when it comes to a clinical setting. And good morning, Bob. And I just want to say that when when I when I read your book, Andrew, and as I'm going through your book, it is very evident that there are people who are in this profession who do it completely differently. And I, I really want to elevate that and, and kind of put you on a pedestal a little bit for that because it's commendable. And it, it's something that I think is important to shed light on because when we think of the realm of psychology, at, at least with the clients that I work with, it's something that is umbrellaed and you have really found this this knack of being able to segregate and differentiate yourself in the way that your modality is and i think that's commendable and i really wanted to say that good morning everybody and for everybody who's just tuning in i am going to do a giveaway today but it is very important that we are authentic we're asking questions i know yesterday ashley had asked so many really really good questions and i want us to just be able to engage and to kind of Use use Andrew in a way selfishly to be able to ask questions with and um, the giveaway that we're going to do is going to be a white noise machine. And I know so many of us have a hard time sleeping. So that is just something pretty cool that I found that I want to give away. So start engaging, asking questions, tag a friend. And Andrew, I'm just really, really curious. What made you start getting into psychology in the first place? Well, um, I remember about the age of 14 going home and saying, I'm going to do psychology. And my family said, what do they do? And I said, I don't really know. Um, but I wanted to do it. So I had this sort of calling to do it. And then it turned out incredibly well. So I was very lucky. I mean, I started out my career, my first real job was in psychiatric crisis teams. So I'd often be on bridges with people who were facing very bleak moments in their lives or in siege situations with weapons involved. And that got me really interested in how you stop people getting to that point. And mm. so for me, psychology is really just a study of human life. And so 
it doesn't have to necessarily be problem-based. I mean, it's good when it's strength-based, but it's not always that either. Um, it's about the richness of, of human life and how you understand it more deeply and thoroughly so that you can, I suppose, live a more aware life and, and choose what you want for yourself in that life. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew has written a book that just came out and it's called Your Best Life at Any Age. And as you guys listen to this, what Andrew has done over his career of interviewing over 500,000 people, which I can't even imagine having interviewed that many people, is he has he has pulled out pretty much archetypes and different characteristics based on these age brackets that's he, that he's created within his book. And it's so helpful and beneficial. And just to share a little bit personally, as I'm going through your book, Andrew, you you make a point to say that women who grow up in a household and um, when it comes to the relationship between a daughter and their mother, if the daughter does not want to emulate her mother, then she will really have a distant relationship with her mother and in turn maybe become closer with her father. And as I'm reading through this, that's exactly how the relationship was with my mother and I. And it was so insightful and so enlightening. And I'm sharing this as everybody is listening, because as you're going through these different segments of these age groups, you will also find that there are so many characteristics that you might not have realized within yourself. And it's important to become self-aware, but without somebody having done the work, and I, I can only imagine what work that must have been for you, Andrew, to go through and to be able to, to segregate these into the, the blocks the way that, good morning, everybody, into blocks the way that you have. It is it is incredible. And um, we're going to get to how to get his book and how to pick it up and things I recommend and the, the useful way of being able to use that as a tool for your own life. But Andrea, I just want to ask, going through this process and working in the way that you have with so many people that you have, what gave you the idea to even group people into a book in the way that you did that then is so user-friendly for people who consume this content? So one of the great things is when you run workshops on resilience people do things for you it's really very nice of them and one of the things that they really are very kindly to do and i get them to do is to map their lives and so we do all these sort of life charts and it was a very simple process really of uh you know tens the happiest you've ever been and zeros the unhappiest you've ever been and then across the the horizontal the years and and basically the major events and i'd take these back to wherever i was staying and kind of start to collate them and over and over years, I just kept adding to it. And I didn't start out with any particular theory in my head. But what was interesting was that roughly, rough, and it is rough, it's not, life is not neat, we know that. But, but roughly it fell into about a seven-year cycle. And then, and I was a bit surprised by that. And then I sort of realized that almost every civilization, every culture, every uh, religion, as far as I can tell, has had roughly the same idea that about every seven years, you get an opportunity to kind of reorient or reconsider or reinvent yourself. And that opportunity is important because, of course, what life demands of you at different stages of your life is different. And so, and we all know people who've never really re-examined or reinvented their life. And, well, sometimes it goes a bit past the use by, by date, really. You know, it doesn't always look that pretty if you're, a, say, a 46-year-old acting like a 16-year-old. It's not always the best thing to be doing. Um, and so life and resilience are an improvisational art. And so resilience is the ability to be improvisational in terms of 
be able to adapt and manoeuvre yourself to what life throws up at you. And life, of course, will confront you with different challenges at different ages. And so understanding that or having at least a rough guide to it is incredibly useful because otherwise we just go through feeling either where to blame because the old strategies don't work or flummoxing around trying to work out a different way to be rather than seeing it as a natural human progression of development. Hmm. There's something beautiful about normalizing that that makes us feel very much not alone. And Bob, yes, interesting. A lot of things in our lives fall into seven-year cycles for sure. And for everybody who's just tuning in, we are going to be giving away a white noise machine 24 hours from now to whoever is the most engaged. So start asking questions, start talking to each other. And I'm curious because this is a question that has come up a lot and something I've talked about lately with a lot of people. For everybody who's listening, what was your very first memory? What is the very first thing that you can remember remembering? And Andrew, as we continue through this cycle, you I know that you say that we all become adults when we turn when we turn 36. So what what exactly do you mean by that? And and how did that come to be? <laughs> it's a very funny story. I was uh doing some work with Aboriginal Australians, which are a wonderful group of, of uh, a community of people. And uh, one of the elders, uh, a, a very wise woman came up to me and she said in a fairly kind of um, brusque or hoarse voice, she said, you know, you know, you won't know, you won't know that your backside's on fire until you're 30 years of age. And then you'll have no idea how to put it out until you're 36. And I sort of nodded knowingly, pretending that I understood exactly what she was talking about, which I had no idea. And it took me years, absolutely years, to understand what she was talking about. And if I could just go, actually, with it for a little bit, just say what it was, what I finally came to understand, because it did take a while. Um, so often, you know, you flummox your way through your 20s trying to work out, get some grip on who the heck you are. A very difficult business. The 20s are a very tough time for lots of people, right? And then finally, about 29, you land on a scheme, an idea, a mission, something that's going to be a, you know, a life purpose, you know, suddenly I'm going to, I'll start a family or I'll, uh, or I'll devote myself to this career or this mission or whatever it is, right? And, and that's great, you know, and you, you fall in love with it because it's, and, but you're a bit like someone who's got a hammer and for ev everything, Basically, once you've got a hammer, it looks like a nail. So, so basically, you come up with one solution to it, right? Whatever it is. And it's a false start in a funny kind of way. It's not wrong. It's a useful process. But often by the time you get to 36, you go, hang on. That first idea may not be my only idea. Maybe I can broaden out as a human being and start to embrace a more rich and diverse way of living your life. And so I really do think that at 36, well, you know, it's taken a while. You're at the point where you can really start to self-determine what it is that's the essential crux of life. It's a really interesting time. Yeah, it, that is that is so interesting. And as everybody is listening to this, I'm curious what your your idea at 29 was, what that that first pickup of the hammer was for you, what that first nail looked like. So if you can remember what that idea was, who you thought you might might become at that time, especially if it is something different than now, I'm curious to know to know what that is. And 
Andrew, in your book, you break down the chapters in a way that's very interactive and you give very meaningful questions at the end that engage us. And so I'm, I'm asking this question to everybody who is listening in the same way that Andrew does as you're going throughout his book. And it is such an easy read. And I'm, I'm telling you that because I know that not everybody consumes content when they have to sit down and be intentional and actually pick up a book and and fuel their mind in that way. But I, I can't promote your book enough. And I know that it is something that is brand new, but the way that you have designed it, I think is such a powerful tool. And I really like that you even make mention of the fact that you don't need to go through from start to finish. And if you yourself are a 50 year old and you wanna go straight to that chapter first, I can guarantee you by reading that chapter, you're probably going to be enlightened enough to wanna to go back and um, to consume more. I want to be a child abused a child abuse investigator by age 29. I love the idea of resilience coming as we adapt ongoing life. Yeah, absolutely. You are absolutely right. And we can continue. I know that we can go through every single age, but I'm just wondering because we have so many people in this group or maybe they haven't gone to talk therapy or maybe they battle the idea of even going to talk therapy. So can you share maybe some enlightenment or encouragement about that? And I also want to know why age 49 is typically the first time that people decide to go to talk therapy for the first time. Okay. There's a bit there. So one of the things that my research uncovered, which uh, I was really interested in was that families have time bombs. So basically when we map people's lives and then we look at their parents' lives, not always, but quite often, there's a coinciding of ages where things change. So when you're lying as a little baby looking cute in that crib or that bassinet or that cot or whatever it was, right, looking gorgeous as all get out, right, you weren't just sort of looking cute. You were actually studying astutely how life goes. And so you were much wiser as a baby than you, you realised. But because, of course, you're not verbal yet, the knowledge that you learn is not processed verbally and consciously. It's, pro it's sort of absorbed into your, your soul or your psyche. It's, it's deep in you, right? And then what happens is people go through their lives and there's turning points in their lives and they are often exactly at the time when life for their mum or dad changed. And so it's really interesting to think about and so in the book, we get people to do a, do a life chart. And then you look at your mother's sort of life or your father's life or significant other people in your life. And you'll often see that basically when things changed for them, you yourself decided to change things. Not perhaps necessarily precisely the same way, but there will be there was a clear message as a baby that you got that when you turn 29, you change your life or when you turn 49, you change. Yeah. So it's a fascinating process. And of course, unless we ever become conscious of those, some of us just unwittingly repeat the model that we mm. were given, or we unconsciously just rebel and react against it and try and do the reverse of whatever they did. Um, and that's not freedom either, really. So it's a really interesting thing. Hmm. Labeling it as a, a time bomb like that, I think that 
we can all, if we're honest with ourselves, think back to a time in our lives where things changed with our parents or maybe parents, whoever it was that was caring for us and how that impacted our lives. Oh my God, at 29, I was doing the same thing as I was at 16, as I was at 50 and as I am now, but I think I'm an anomaly as far as that goes. It's been my lifelong passion. Yes, Bob is a, a fire chief. And yes, my baby is definitely smarter than me. I can't see who that is, but I'm just going to guess that that's Catherine. Robert, I am still stuck at 18. Do men, oh, do men ever really grow up, Andrew? That's a great question, Bob. It's a very interesting question, isn't it? So let's talk about men for a moment, because I think there are, and I was always very taken by a San Diego Jungian analyst by the name of Robert Johnson, who talked about three levels of masculinity. And I think it's it actually played out in my research as well. The first group and the most basic are like Don Quixote. And they basically, everything that they see is like a windmill to be fought. And so these are guys that basically battle through life. Everything is an antagonistic kind of battle to the victory. Everything is a competition. The next level is Hamlet. So Hamlet, as you remember, basically was aware, but had no idea what to do about it. He knew something was wrong, but had no empowerment or any effective action. And the third one, which actually is in Robert Johnson's book, is about... Uh, about Faust. Now, Faust, you may remember Goethe wrote about Faust and talked about a pact with the devil. And now that's, an, that's a rather peculiar way of thinking about it. But I think as I start to think about that higher level of masculinity, the men who grow up realize that they are capable of great, wonderful deeds, but they're also capable of disastrous uh, acts. And so we have to, in some ways, incorporate into ourselves both aspects and take responsibility for them, rather than just pretend I'm just such a nice guy, I would never do anything wrong, you know, that kind of stuff, or the reverse, I would need to kind of prove my masculinity at anybody else's expense. And we've all seen guys that basically haven't ever got that together. So they never grow up completely. That's right. But And the great shame is some of those guys can make an incredibly contribution as long as they start to enrich themselves. But you don't do that unless you look inwards. So the answer to your earlier comment is not that it's necessary to do talking therapy, but it is necessary, I think, to kind of look at the patterns of your life and learn about this peculiar thing called human life and what's it look like and when were things really good and when were things pretty bad and what was going on there and how did you recover from that and then how does that map across your family history and once you've got that sort of level of insight you've got a freedom that most people never attain and it frees you not only to be more carefree about your life and loving but it also frees you to choose and that's a remarkable advantage in a world that's often very reactive, particularly people who work in high intense, you know, high first responder type, you know, we're really gung-ho kind of people. We're going to, and, you know, I know I've, I've worked in that field myself. Um, so you kind of, there's a, there's a way of collecting yourself around crises and, but not examining yourself. And so that can cost you dearly because 
well, everyone wears out from time to time. And so you've got to have something else to fall back on. That's so valuable. And and you you call your, your book the blueprint for life. And I think how you just described that very thing, it really is the essence of being able to have that self-examination. But to have somebody who is really standing by you and giving the direction that you need, if especially if you're not going to or don't feel the need to have talk therapy in your life, I think that this is such a powerful tool for us to all have and to be able to use to be able to have that self-identification that had you not done your research, Andrew, and hadn't been so strategic in the way that you present it to people who can easily consume it, um, we otherwise wouldn't be able to do that. So I really want to thank you for that. And I got so many questions yesterday when I told everybody in our group that you were coming in. And I'm just going to pick one of them from here as we wrap this up. And um, somebody wanted to know if you are taking clients, how they can get to, to know you more, maybe get into your realm, your world a little bit more and um, how to contact you directly if if they maybe want to have you on themselves for an interview or to be able to contact you for something else. So I have um, a couple of websites. One is uh, andrewfuller.com.au, so the Australian website. Um, but on that website are a whole lot of free downloads about depression proofing, about anxiety management. So there's a whole lot of interesting stuff that you can read as well, just for free. And then I've got a second website called mylearningstrengths.com. And if I can actually just talk very briefly about that for a moment. I, the other part of my world, I spend a lot of time studying brains and how they learn things. And I became really aware that often young people get trapped by comparing themselves with one another rather than fulfilling their potential. And so I developed a website based on research where if you go on the website, you'll see a great photo of me. I spent a lot of money on that photo. I look terrific, right? And uh, you can do a free analysis of your learning strengths and you'll get a letter from me that says, congratulations, Ashley, you're really good in this and this. And if you want to get better in another area, here's a way of doing it. And in the short time, it's been available 27,000 young people across the world from Russia, from Argentina, from Scotland, you know, everywhere, Africa have done it. And they, many of them email me and they'll say things like thank you you're the first person who's ever told me i'm smart hmm. and so it's not about whether you are smart it's how you're smart and how to use those learning strengths to become smarter and one of the things that we know about particularly young people is that while helping them feel good generally about themselves is useful if i can help them to identify a skill an area of competence, a treasure within them, and make much of it, then I get a ripple effect into their general well-being. And so that's the more powerful way to go, which is why I've done it. So that, That's amazing. My Mylearningstrength.com, to everybody who is listening, I encourage you now, go on there and, and make sure that you at least put it in your, your search so that you don't forget what that is. Andrew and Ashley, thank you so much for all you've poured into us this morning, evening. For me, it's been a fantastic start to my Tuesday. Yeah, I, I can't say that as good as you just did, Bob. So thank you. And for, for anybody who wants to order your book themselves, what is the easiest way for them to be able to? Look, I think it's uh, on in Barnes & Noble, Amazon, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Very good. But, uh, but go on the other website and admire the photo, please, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Andrew, it has been such a pleasure. I just want to thank you so much. I, I am so honored to, to know people like you and to have people like you in my sphere of influence who are doing incredible things. You are inspiring. Your work is literally jaw dropping. And um, I, I so appreciate you spending time with us this morning. So thank you. Thank you, Ashley. It's a great delight. And thank you, everyone, for spending some time with me.